Good afternoon and welcome to Between Two Femmes. Uh, I'm Mabali Moloi. And I'm Aspasia Karis. I'm very excited this afternoon because we're doing a bit of a like a profile feature on our very special guest who's joining us in studio. It's kind of like a get to know the person, you know? Indeed, it is. Yes. And we have even a very surprising little, um, what are we calling it? Oh gosh, okay, the, now I've got it. The two minute 10 big question questionnaire. questionnaire. So we're going to have to work on that. Basically, it's something very <laughs> simple. It's an easy title to remember, obviously. <laughs> um, we've got joining us in studio communications strategist, Kananelo K. Sehwali. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, ladies. <laughs> we and just uh, were trying to understand if she was really just Olivia Pope in the South African iteration. The, the fixer. Yes. I mean, is that what you do by profession? You you move in and you fix people's reputations and then you exit. I do quite a lot of reputation management in yeah. my communication strategy work. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure if I'd take it as far as to call myself Olivia Pope. <laughs> Although who was... wouldn't want to call themselves Olivia Pope? But it comes. I with a try whole to lot channel her every morning. I'm like, oh, what would Olivia wear? <laughs> yes, no, her dress sense definitely. I'd love to channel that. Yeah, it's but... the best. Yeah, but I don't want to sleep with the president. <laughs> no, in our case, you'd have a lot of competition. <laughs> Just um, saying. Wife number what? Oh, six. <laughs> I don't know. It's difficult to keep up. But look, Kay, I mean, I do feel that you would be the sort of favorite wife. You think Once so? he like sort of got sight of you, then he'd be like, hmm. Look, he, and he needs some reputation fixing. Well, you, you definitely be the wife that kept him on his toes because... I posted this tweet and your response to it was classic because I called you a force of nature and you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and these are just some of the words that people use to describe you when they, when they're talking about you. Would you not describe yourself as a force of nature? Um, I suppose I would. Yeah. My mother does definitely. <laughs> force of nature that she created. I, I'm very outspoken, I guess. Yes. Um, have a lot of opinions about stuff. I air them on different platforms. Sometimes and I write articles. this explains the 36,000 Twitter followers. Is it 30, oh, is it, that much? It is that it much. It is that much. Okay. We, so we just looked at it today yeah, and we you, were like, hmm. You are a force. I think you must just. That's a force. You know? You must just <laughs> own it. It's a force of Twitter nature. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Kay, in getting Twitter. to. In getting to know you, I mean, Sekhwale, obviously, you know, a very famous surname in this country. Mm-hmm. Has it been a bit of a burden? Well, this is the question. On Sundays, when I read the Sunday Times, it is. <laughs> because you <laughs> are, Maybe this last Sunday specifically. <laughs> because you are the niece of Tokyo Sekhwale. Yes, yeah. Tokyo is my uncle Musima, actually. That's mm, his name. Yeah. Um, but he's known as Tokyo in the streets. Yes. And yeah, he's a great guy. And, um, he yeah. needs some reputation management <laughs> at the moment. Has, have you offered, I've offered your help? I've offered. I think he says he's got it covered. But being as outspoken as you are, do you find that you sometimes need to double check yourself before you say things or before you publish things? Because, you know, you do have the surname that holds quite a bit of weight to it. Never. 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 Yeah. I tweet, I post on Facebook. <laughs> Ten minutes later, I'm like, oh my goodness, what have I done? And sometimes I regret it, but I never quite shy away from my opinions and things that I've said publicly. Mm. I, I try to stick to, to my convictions. Um, a lot so what time. are your feelings today? Because I wrote uh, my Ed's note 
which you know the trouble with magazines is you write it and then it's immediately dated. Mm. So I wrote it about blackface mm-hmm. um, for this new with edition. Well, I was talking about those two girls. Yes. And today there's a whole new scandal with blackface. With they're, two guys. With two time. guys who dressed yes. up as the Serena. So they're the Williams sisters, yeah. And tell us a bit. I mean, here, do you have an outspoken opinion on that? I have the same opinion that most sensible people have, that, um, you know, we just need to find a way to make this sort of thing stop, educate people more. What's disappointing, I suppose, is that it's young people that are doing this and that are airing these uh, these, these very racist views mm. and not even realizing themselves that I this is I don't think racist. they realize that it's racist. Yeah. So I think that's where the I had a dream. I mean, this mm-hmm. is what inspired me to write about blackface <laughs> because I couldn't understand what the hell was going on. So... In my dream. And what happened was I went to a wedding, mm-hmm. um, a white wedding, okay. <laughs> in all senses of the word. Okay. And I, I'm looking at the bride in the dream, and I'm like, oh, this is what she chose. And they were all a bit blinging it and looking quite surprising. Mm-hmm. And then um, they turn around, and they're all wearing, the entire bridal party is wearing blackface. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And it shocked me so dramatically. That I woke up. Oh, wow. And I thought, well, the Dalai Lama, another persona non grata in our national <laughs> conversation, yeah. said you must interpret your dreams because they, they're actually, you know, often they, they are the enlightening. So It's not so just random. They're not random. Yeah. And I realized uh, I had heard so many stories about blackface mm. that were fascinating to me and what was going on. And um, I find, for example, the EFF. I call them the effing party, um, as I'm sure several others do. Yeah, our speaker, not least. Yeah, um, but I find the way they dress up is like blackface, dressing up as a nanny and I going totally, to parliament. I totally agree. It's a complete mockery of the struggle of the poor, and um, it's interesting. I've had discussions with, with Julius about this. Mm. Like, why do you guys dress like this? I mean, there was a time when he invited me to join their party, which I declined. And afterwards, after did you the, decline immediately or did you process it and think about it for a bit? Well, look, I'm, I'm friends with him. So I didn't like, you know, dismiss him out of hand. Yeah. Um, at, the, at that particular point in time, I did say no in that meeting. But I was like, look, I'll, let, me, let me think a bit more about this. But it wasn't something that I would seriously entertain. But I think uh, the conversation that I had with him after the opening of Parliament was around the way that they were dressed. And I was mm. like, Julius, can you imagine me? in a helper's uniform. Mm. Like, what kind of message would that be sending to the South African public? Because it's bad enough that he does it. Now, you brought up my uncle as an example. So I come from this family that is seen in a particular light. Yeah. What a huge mockery to the poor it would be if I came dressed like that. Mm. You see, I've never thought about it that way because brand strategists will tell you that, you know, in terms of marketing and publicity, this was such a good move for the EFF because, you know, their brand is easily recognizable and mm-hmm. people will pick them out, like they will identify them immediately. So from that perspective, the brand strategy mm. perspective, you mm. have all these experts saying, oh, this is such a good move strategically. Yeah, from a marketing point of view, yeah. it's, a, it's a brilliant move. But, but now you raise an, an even more important I point. I felt it was, it was in, in the same vein. Yeah. Mm. Um, and the Doki situation. Yeah. Why was the, I mean, that was, you know, the Ministry of... Uh, Disabled people and other women. Mm. Um, and and <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny um, <laughs> yeah. Saying, uh, you know, in solidarity for Women's Month, we must all 
Don Dukes. Dukes. Like that was Essentially really a symbol. Yeah, symbol like I feel that playing with the symbolism well, is one Dukes, thing, but this wasn't, I, I didn't feel liberated. I didn't see how this no, was going to help me. It's a silly thing. I mean, Dukes symbolize a lot of things in, in our culture, many different things. For example, a woman in mourning would wear a duke, yeah. um, you know, to show up in, in a home or a, mm-hmm. any woman, even if they're not in mourning, but in a home where people are mourning, you would, you know, don something on your head, cover your shoulders, that kind of thing. But to try and turn it around into a symbol of being a woman, mm-hmm. I found that to be a bit ludicrous. 0861-555-189 if you'd like to join in on the conversation or you can message us straight to WeChat at the Cliff Central official account. We're talking to communication strategist, Ganane Lokesekwali. Kay, I'd like to go back to the beginning with you because you were born in Lesotho to mm-hmm. exiled parents. Mm-hmm. So around that time, like just, just take us through that, that whole period in your, in your life back in Lesotho and when you were growing up. Okay, I was born And then when you had to leave, because that's essentially what happened. Yeah, I was born a long time ago. And <laughs> we, we don't like to talk about no, specific no. dates no, on no, this no. show. No. Look, it doesn't show. It doesn't show that you were born a long time My ago. My great-grandmother used to say, I'm as old as I look. Exactly. So, you know, I go with that too. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was raised in Lesotho and it was during the apartheid era. My, my dad is South African and my mom's from Lesotho. I have a lot of family in Lesotho as well. Mm. And, um, both of them were political activists. So my mother met my father when she was in varsity and she was going through her whole uh, political realization moment. She was in a student of, of politics, um, political science. And I was raised in that environment, which is very different from South Africa. So I went to primary school in Lesotho for the first uh, few years of my life. Yeah. Uh, well, I went to crash first, obviously, but um, then to primary school. Um, and it was, I don't know, it was a life of, it, it, it was like a double life of sorts. So we went to a private school, we went to private schools, my sister and I, um, in, in Maseru. The, at the time, um, they were the only English medium schools that were that were there. So it was like an international school with uh, kids from all over the world and all races. So we were socialized to understand what apartheid was, yeah. but we were not experiencing it in mm. terms of our day-to-day lives. So we grew up in a completely multiracial sort of um, environment. And Lesotho, as you know, um, was opposed to apartheid and assisted um, the African National Congress, of which my parents um, were were activists of and also members of the military wing, um, particularly my dad. And yeah, so that's the life that I led. And something dramatic happened. Um, one of the cross-border raids that, uh, that the South African Defense Force used to carry out, I was caught up in that. I was the youngest injured person. Um, from South Africa, that is, mm. um, in that particular raid. And after that, we moved overseas. Where where overseas did you move to? We Okay, first we moved, well, Swaziland, <laughs> that's not overseas. Um, <laughs> we moved to Swaziland, lived there for a few months. And then um, from Swaziland, we then moved on to Norway and Holland. So my parents split around the time. So my mom moved to Holland, my dad to Norway. But we were offered political asylum by the Norwegian government. My interestingly enough, because of his military history and also the same reasons that a lot of um, ANC uh, ex activists who are now like government figures, etc., yeah. have pro- had problems getting into the United States. 
we were denied asylum in the States, for example, in Australia, Canada. So it was the Scandinavian countries that were willing to entertain um, giving South African refugees asylum. I'm wondering what that must have been like for you at that time, because did, did you even understand why you guys were moving around so often and why you were when you say, yeah, well, you maybe felt injured. Like you were at threat. The injury might have mm. like sort of and what that highlighted does. it for you. Yeah, and what that but did that's to very you traumatic. Yeah, I think in before before that raid, I understood the struggle in theory. So I had only had two experiences where I had experienced overt racism. We would travel into South Africa to visit my grandparents in Soweto. They live in Dube. They're still alive. And we would then travel to go visit them without my parents because they were um, personas non grata in, in South Africa. Mm. But we would go with other mm. relatives, that kind of thing. One trip, we went with a Norwegian family um, who were in Norway, oh, sorry, who were in, uh, in, in, in South Africa and Lesotho doing some kind of work for an NGO. And when they were going back from Lesotho back to South Africa to take their flight, they then gave my sister and I a ride um, to, to, to South Africa. It was a very interesting trip. And that was when we first, the very first experience we had of people viewing us differently. We stopped at a wimpy mm. and um, we needed to use the bathroom. And they wanted us to go in a separate bathroom from the lady that we were traveling with. And she was like, no way. Yeah. So it was like this whole mm. thing, which in South Africa, as anybody who's listening would know, that was the everyday norm. That, yeah. But for us, it was like, whoa, what's, what's going, going on? on here? And also for the Norwegian couple, they, it they, was were, shocked. they were shocked as well. Mm-hmm. So and it's I something that... forget the stuff. Yeah, you know it in theory. I was reading uh, an interview with Johnny Steinberg, who's mm. working on his new book, which is of a guy who was, who's been in prison mm. for the entire time of... Uh, post-apartheid South mm-hmm. Africa, 20 mm-hmm. years, and is has come out to a free South Africa. To a free South Africa, and I think there's nobody else who could possibly imagine the stock who could actually relate mm. quite how different it was. Because mm. I think for many people, this is just inconceivable. Yes, exactly. So it was very, it was very weird. So that moving around, we moved around a lot. And uh, in Lesotho as well, because of the various dangers that uh, that that that, mm. that were there for my parents, um, you know, with uh, people trying to kill them <laughs> in many different types of ways. But um, I think you, it, if that's your life, that's your life. Mm. So it doesn't seem strange mm. until you actually experience something else. So moving to Europe was a bit of a culture shock in many ways. But I suppose it also had helped that we'd had this, um, the, the type of schooling that we'd had in international schools because we were able to then adapt, um, you know, to the curriculum and, and that kind of thing and also to, to the setup. But what was then interesting, what turned, the tables were turned. Suddenly we were the only black people everywhere mm. we went. <laughs> yeah. And then Which you must s- be very peculiar. That's <laughs> really weird. I was in Boulder, Colorado and for a few days, and visiting, I have a brother and sister-in-law in Boulder, mm-hmm. which is like a hipster town. Mm-hmm. All these like sort of fancy New Yorkers move off to Boulder, Colorado. John Grisham writes about Boulder, Colorado a lot. You know? Yeah. But it took me a few days to realize why I was feeling so peculiar. I was like, I just don't know. I just couldn't put my finger on it. And then I, I realized there were no black people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen a single black person mm-hmm. in like days yeah it was so mysterious for me I, I felt discombobulated the adjustment for you having grown up in that kind of environment mm-hmm. you know where you were among white people and 
you weren't exposed to this segregation thing and then coming back to South Africa and then having to deal with it and see it firsthand. What was that adjustment like? White South Africans are not like other whites. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, tell us. White South Africans are like a species on their own. Like, <laughs> in many ways. No, I, I, I mean that um, with the utmost of respect, obviously. But um, on a very... That's because she's looking at a white <laughs> South African. Now she has to look... <laughs> it's okay, you're a firebrand. What did we say? Force of nature. A force of nature, you can speak freely. You know what? I've, I found it shocking to move to South Africa. Well, visiting South Africa, I'd come to visit quite a lot yeah. before I actually moved here. Yeah. Um, I moved here around the year 2000. So I'd come a lot between 1994 and then. And it was not the same thing visiting because you visit, it's insulated, you meet specific types of people, you're introduced to like minded people. Um, people like Aspasia. So <laughs> you don't get that mm. thing that I'm talking about that you see on News 24. Oh, the no. I, oh, the comment yes. section. <laughs> the, you know, the that's pe- what I'm talking about. The people who comment on News 24, they are an entirely different breed but altogether. But those are but trolls. Yeah. But can I just say yeah. that they're also trolls? I mean, mm. I, I, I used to look at the Twitter feed when I was at the Times. And of course, that is the place where people engage yes. is on the news stories. But it was always the same, like 24 weird trolls. I was, somebody should go <laughs> and do a story, find them, yeah. like find, you know, yeah. Jack they're always Spratt anonymous, or whoever they? they are. They can find them though, because they? They, yes, the Daily Mail, bless them. I always call mm. them the Daily Fail. Did it expose, <laughs> and this is the one win where they found the sort of sexual harassing oh. trolls in uh, the UK. But oh. then, do they name and shame? They them? named and shamed them. They showed the pictures, so you could find these trolls. It mm. would be fascinating. That should be our could next be a project, documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, for you to then move to South Africa, sort of like back home, if you will, because yeah. you know you were. You were in Lesotho because your parents uh, were exiled, because of exile. But the, then the choice to move back to South Africa, was that like an easy, no-brainer choice? Or, I mean, you'd already been exposed to other parts of the world. Or was it just a case of, you want to, where do I you go? Did you feel that this was home? Yeah. Perhaps that's the question. I, yeah. In theory, I felt it was home. Yeah. Uh, in practice, I moved here. I felt like a foreigner mm. in so many different ways. I spoke differently. It's taken me years to try and sound South African as much as possible. Um, and it's, it's, you know, there's that sense of. I'm just surprised you don't sound more Norwegian. How do you say <laughs> Oh no, gosh. <laughs> they sound strange. Anyway, <laughs> they sound like that guy who like shot everyone up. Oh no. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Norwegians are not like that guy. But, um, Norwegians tend to have an accent that is very strange. But I went to Norwegian schools and um, English schools as well in Norway and Holland. And um, I sp- obviously I, sp- I speak Sesotho, so that always has helped. Because, yeah. it, you know, yesterday was uh, Heritage Day. Yes. And I had actually had a good think about that and was talking to my kids about it. That language is culture mm. at the end of the day. Uh, a lot of my fitting into South Africa had to do with the fact that I spoke or that I speak an indigenous language, which was, which made it easy for a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't have been as accepting to be accepting of me and, you know, my mm-hmm. sister and, and that kind of thing. But, um, I find, I, I, well, I found it very strange to move back. It's a completely different kettle of fish. 
what's interesting about South Africa is that the life that I lead, the life that the lives that you lead mm. as well, you ladies here, is different from the lives that are led by people in um, in, in informal settlements yeah. and, and in the townships and that kind of thing. It's like two completely different countries. Mm. It feels like you're not in the same country. And if you don't want to be exposed to that other life, you don't have to be. That's what I've realized about Joburg. So, I don't agree. I think that um, that life comes and finds you, and you have to almost develop like a very indifferent shell. Yes, that's what to I'm not about. see it. Yes, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. That if because you don't want to, every and it's scary. street corner, there's somebody with desperate need. Yeah, begging on the street, begging yes. you, addressing you. It's in your face all the time. But that's where you see it. Yeah. But going to the environment, going yeah, into yeah, the yeah. actual, going yeah. into the environment yeah. where people live. That's a choice that mm. one makes. Mm. And you can, almost, you can almost see people trying to run away from that as much as possible with the gated communities. Yes. And, the, you know, they're like, no, 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 no. This thing doesn't exist. I'm just going to bury That's my head I'm under, always the, laughing at under the fern. soil. Drain mm. fern. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with the pipe there. Yeah, there. not only the pipe. It's also <laughs> that, like, right next door to them. Yeah. The deep slurt. It's deep it's slurt. Like, yeah. And they can't. They haven't escaped anywhere. It's like so... They're trying to escape, but they're not escaping. But I think it's a, it, and it's, they've got terrible traffic, so yeah. that's what comes <laughs> of trying to escape. Yeah, I ran away from Foy's for that reason. <laughs> oh no, Foy's is a terrible place. I know, I live there. But um, Kay, I'm wondering because you know sometimes with you know with black people, like you said, you you had a, a certain accent when you spoke, mm. and you know how it is. Sometimes you know they'll call you like. Uh, you know, mm. you're a coconut or whatever if you speak a certain way. You think you're better. Yeah, and I'm wondering if, if, that, <laughs> if, if that was something that you also had to deal with when you say you came back to South Africa and you felt like a foreigner in your own home. I did. Was that amongst your own people as well? Yes, it yeah. was. It was. Um, even, um, dare to say, some family mm. members as well. Um, and it's it, it, it was a bit of a battle, but not too much. Most people that I knew and got to know are quite worldly, enlightened people. But it's everyone else. That one encounters the woman at the supermarket, the cashier. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they're like, uh, fini plastic. And you're like, excuse me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know yeah. I'm like, excuse me. What does that mean? <laughs> you know? They're like, and what's wrong with like, you? At this look like, yeah. where are you from? Yeah. What's wrong with so, you? <laughs> so what I did though, one of the things that helped was that after a while, um, my, my, my Isizulu is not so good yet, mm. but I'm trying to pick up words here and there. Mm. But after a while, understanding more Isizulu and other languages as well, other South African languages, I've taken to responding in Sisutu. Mm. The reception is far less cold mm. than responding in English. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Me too. I also find that. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, true. Yeah. Because I was, uh, I run in the morning mm. and, I greet. I greet everyone when I run. I think it's very important to just greet as mm. you're going along. Mm. So I was greeting this bunch of, I think they were nursing students who were clearly coming off their shift or going to their shift. Mm -hmm. And as I'd passed them, they didn't greet back. They said, hmm, she's like, uh, oh, umlong or something <laughs> or other. <laughs> and so I said, ah, oh, And then... They were very shocked <laughs> that you managed to do that. I said, mm. Mm, our children today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they didn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, you know. So, mm. and then I could hear them laughing and engaging me. And I was like, too late, too late, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> side eye, side eye for you. But it helps. 
It does help. Yeah. It does. But that greeting thing, that's something else that took me a while to, to get acclimatized to. That everybody, greet. everybody greets you here. You know, you come, when they yeah. say that when you enter a room, you're, you're you must greet yes. people. I mean, it's, it's cordial. It's way. polite. I walk into a disc and I'm like, um, hi, I'm looking for Vaseline. Yeah. I, well, actually, without the hi. Excuse me, can you tell me where the Vaseline yeah. is? Like, Dumela uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, can you acknowledge that I am here? Exactly. So it took me a while to, to, to acclimatize to that. Even in the work environment, when I first moved here, I, I was working for corporate companies um, in various communication departments and that kind of thing. And it took me a while as well to mm. not just walk into an open plan office and just and then sit just down. And start talking, yeah. And just start talking. Like, oh, did you do that assignment? Can I please have your copy? And, you know, I had to get used to that culturally as well. So there, there are quite a few cultural lessons um, that came with uh, moving here. Mm. But I wouldn't move to any other country. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. And then you studied media and communications and mm-hmm. IT brand overseas as well? Yes, did, did, in did Norway. That, did that start? Okay. Yes, yes. So then when you so, came back to South Africa, you were already like, qualified, working, ready to yes, go? Yes, no, no, I didn't go to school here yeah. at all. Yeah. So I moved here. I was an adult and um, my young son. Also had quite a bit of a culture shock moving here. Oh, was he was was he born overseas? Yes, and he's mixed race, so there was oh, that. Okay. So I think on the second week of school, he couldn't speak English. He spoke Norwegian only. Wow. And I think on his second week of school, one of the first words that people had taught him was "coloured." Mm. I was livid. That is interesting. Yeah, I was livid. I had to sort of work through my issues of um, you know um, racial awareness, etc. And also me accepting him and other mixed race people as being politically black and not necessarily um, colored, or at least to, 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 to refer to them as mixed race. So it was quite an issue. Um, but, you know, this yeah. is such a tricky topic because, mm. you know, in, in the U.S., if you call them colored, they, it's, that's an offense. It's very offensive. It's very offensive. Mm. You know, they, they will call the, they will refer to themselves as black. No, I'm a black, I'm an African American, I'm not colored. Mm. But then, you know, you come to South Africa and then you do have, you, you know, we, we speak about colored people. But and this is you the have only... a, I mean, a specific cultural heritage themselves. I mean, yesterday was Cultural Heritage mm. Day. Yeah. It is kind of, uh, this is where it becomes so tricky. This, this is mm. what I'm saying. Mm. It's slippery slope. No, it's been, it's, it's been an interesting journey. In my family, we have people who identify as colored because they are from, they have a cult, uh, you know, a, a cultural heritage yeah. of being colored from the Cape, et cetera, married into my family to other, to people within the family. Yeah. So that's another interesting dynamic that we, well, I come from a fully multiracial family. <laughs> it sounds and, like <laughs> And so it, it was an interesting dynamic. So my, um, what should I call him? Step grandfather, my, my, my stepmother's uh, father. He took me through this journey of K, um, we're coloreds and this is why we're coloreds and, you know, there's Cape coloreds and there's this and that. And I was like, uh, okay, fine. But, you know, after a while, I've kind of come full circle yeah. to accept that this is where we're at. But I still think that the government is doing the public generally a disservice by keeping the colored tab within the choices that you make when they ask for racial uh, classification of people, why they ask for racial classification of people is like a mystery to me. But when they do it, should we not get into that discussion of are people colored? Is that not taking an apartheid terminology and then and bringing it into it. and bringing it into modern South Africa? 
And also on those forms, you will get, you know, the race classifications, they'll say African, and then they'll break it down even further. Mm. Indian African, black African, colored African, and then there's white. So it's yes. like, you know, whites, no, you're not really African. You're just white. Exactly. And then you get these African people, and it's us and the colored people mm. and the Indian people. Like, that's, you know, it 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 raises a good... It's very interesting. It is very interesting. We have, I mean, let's ask that question. Mm. 20 years down the line, have we... Have we actually moved on from our deeply divided racist tendencies in this country? Are we a better <laughs> are we a better place? Have we actually Yes, we have. Yeah. We've moved on tremendously. South Africa, and remember, looking at it for, with the eyes of a foreigner, twenty years ago when I came to visit South Africa, this was not the South Africa that I found. Mm. Mabali would not be sitting in the studio. Mm. Um, and, and your, your sound controller, um, Balesa. Balesa, would also not be in the position that It would she just was. be you. It would Aspasia. just be Aspasia, <laughs> a bunch of white guys. Mabali would be bringing, making tea. You know? <laughs> this is true. You know, a lot has changed. The middle class has grown. Um, there have been a lot of successes. South Africa is not falling apart. I don't care who says what because of their own political mm. agendas who want to make it seem as if this country is like going to the dogs, as they like saying, um, yes. when they call into various radio shows and that kind of thing. But um, I, I disagree with that view. We have made a lot of progress. There's a lot of problems yes. that come with the type of problems we come from, including the access to wealth, which is where your corruption comes in, where people are suddenly mm. like, oh my goodness, I have access to this. And then um, some people go on a looting spree. But uh, a lot of delivery has been made. A lot of lives have changed houses that had no electricity, water, that kind of thing. You know, sorry, I sound like a government spokesperson. I'll stop it. There you go. And everyone is actually experiencing the same problems now in a way that is actually a much better situation to be in. Yes. All of Santon had no water. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. That, that whole water problem has been a general Gauteng thing. It's just, oh, it's crazy. See, Over the see, last w- like equal, week or so. An equal problem. Yes. Yeah. Equal distribution issue. Exactly. But then the difference, is the difference is that you and I can go buy five liters of water at pick and pay where yeah. somebody else can't. But at the same time, it's, it's good sometimes for us to experience that sort of thing. It's highly inconvenient. So mm. I'm not saying it's a good thing mm. that we experience these problems and the cable thefts that went with the power outages that then caused the water reservoirs to run out of water. But at the same time, um, sometimes it's good for us to just, you know, experience some hardships. It's not a bad thing. No, it's not. <laughs> you know, it, it makes you stronger. And, you know, if you've been living in ignorance for most of your life, it just it makes you aware of the kind of problems that other people are facing in the world. Um, we're talking to Casey Khwali, um here on Between Two Femmes. Um you know, I, I read somewhere that when you initially started writing your articles, because, you know, when people speak about you, they, they describe you as very outspoken. Mm-hmm. But I read somewhere that when you initially started writing your articles, or your opinion pieces, for example, um, you would do so under a pseudonym. And I'm wondering if that had anything to do with the fact that, you know, you are... A no, spy. let me tell you. Like, happened. was that a whole... Yeah, 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 let me tell you what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I've never written anything under a pseudonym. Not. However. Okay. <laughs> Here it comes. There's Facebook.com, which I used to like. You know, I, I love I love social media. I've always yeah. like I picked it up quite early on. So on Facebook, I had like I don't know a modest hundred friends or so. Yeah, and they were mostly people I knew. Eighty percent of the people on my Facebook profile were people I knew. 
the other 20% were probably people that I met in discussion forums and that kind of thing, had a rapport with. You know, sometimes you feel comfortable, mm. you become friends, cyber friends, that kind of thing. Then, um, uh, what's her name? Ivan Koza's daughter. Um, Sonono Koza. Yes. yes. Sonono Koza in 2010 <laughs> had a baby. <laughs> mm-hmm. Big Sunday Times spread. Yes. I had a lot of opinions about that. Well, who was the father of the baby? <gasps> yeah, no, it was revealed. Yeah, it was yes. revealed. Yeah, well, that's why you had a lot about the president. You and me both, and I'm yes. sure a lot of other people had a lot of opinions it was about an that. Olivia Pope moment. It's, no, wait. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> it was the opposite. Yeah. Uh, so there I went off running my mouth, having this discussion. And it was shortly after the time that um, Facebook introduced the comment thing under the statuses mm-hmm. where you could actually have a lengthy conversation on your own update. Do you remember some of the things that you said? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go back there? Google, Google can help you with that. <laughs> you had strong opinions. I had very strong views about, about this lifestyle. Yes. So I opined and I opined thinking that I'm opining in a safe space. Mm. And unfortunately, it was not. In the, the, the social social media. All sorts of people can comment on your Facebook wall. No, but at the time, it was, it was only private, it yeah. was private, restricted to people that I knew. Mm. Like I said, only twenty, about twenty people on my page were people that I hadn't met physically. But these are people that I engaged with all the time. Anyway, to cut a long story short, one of these twenty people took this to the Citizen. Okay. And they screen grabbed it. And there was this big headline that Sohali's niece has these views oh. about the president of the oh, Republic of South Africa. Oh dear. And so I kind of was like pushed. I was kind of like in a bit of a tiz. My uncle was the minister of human settlements at the time, mm-hmm. which was a very interesting dilemma for him. So what, what, <laughs> did he have to like have a conversation with you and reprimand you? <laughs> Actually, he didn't. He said, you know what he said? He said, Hey, this is, uh, you've always been outspoken. I've never really, like, you know, wanted to stop you from that. He supports my outspokenness, by the way. Yeah. He doesn't think it's a bad thing. He loves open dialogue. Yeah. His only problem, which is something that I got, was that he was like, in some of your comments, you're being disrespectful. And your disrespect is, you're commenting on the private life of an elder. And mm. this is not how we raised you. Mm. That hit me hard. Mm. And not only him, but other members of my family, um, older members of my family had that feedback. So which, my, is, which is a huge thing, you know, within, within the African culture exactly. with black people is you've always got to respect your elders no matter what. Exactly. You can disagree so with them were like, on everything. So they like, you can say what you want yeah. about his politics and about a lot of other things, but not about his personal life. So I issued an apology, a public apology. So you apologized on, of your own free will. You weren't told by somebody no. you have to apologize no. because this is just, this looks bad. No. Okay. I apologized of my own free will, issued an apology through SAPA, had a spokesperson do that for me and take all the questions, etc. I didn't say anything further than the apology. But that actually is what got me starting to write in the public space. Yeah. Because in a way, and at the time I was, I was furious at the at the citizen. I was furious at this editor and, you know, wanted to do all kinds of things to them. But um, <laughs> but, but now um, the social media landscape has changed completely. Completely so. And um, in, in the process, it freed my voice. So actually, I thank them now. 
Mm. It freed my voice because it allowed me to say these things because there were a lot of stuff that obviously I had opinions about that I'd been opining about in my private space. I'd said far worse stuff on my Facebook page <laughs> at the time. Yeah. And, and yet that wasn't public because it was that safe space that I spoke about with people mostly that I knew. And um, what was interesting is that it just, it freed my voice. So that's thank you to whoever it was that was editing <laughs> The Citizen. <laughs> But, I mean, you do raise interesting questions, which mm. are about public and private life. Mm. Um, and also, which we've all started living our lives in a public space completely. Yes. And and how much you put out there and how much it impacts on the rest of the world and whether you can have a private life. Mm. I mean, we're just looking at the French president now and all his dramas his uh, popularity rating is at an all-time low. Mm. And the French were always the ones who said the private landscape of whatever was going on in his life <laughs> was private. Was private. Mm. So, and, and, you know, famously have that divide. Mm. And so, and yet, even with the French, this has become an issue that is not such a private thing. Yeah, after do, you remember, all. do you remember the time in France, actually, that now that you raise um, mm. France as an example, when uh, pictures of, um, of Kate, William's wife, Prince yes, William's wife, the, were taken, she was um, topless, topless, and they were taken in France, but the French press didn't publish them. Indeed. Which was the interesting thing. It was the English paparazzi yeah. that went all out and, other, and others as well around the world. I, for some reason, I get the sense that for some reason, if you are a public figure of sorts, um, the normal everyday person feels like, like you belong to them in some way. Mm. Like you, you no longer have a right to your privacy. You know, whether you be some Hollywood star or a politician, as soon as you are in the public space, everybody else feels like, no, I, I, I must have access to you every time I want. And that's mm. just it because that is the role that you chose. That's yeah. that's what you must deal with for being in the public space. I mean, you look at now with this whole iCloud debacle where all those yeah. private, all pictures. those women, those Hollywood A-listers whose private pictures are now like, available why, for why, everyone. Why? 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 <laughs> like, why? <laughs> what are why? you going to say? Why take the why pictures? Take the pictures? <laughs> yes, why are you keeping them on your cloud? <laughs> why? Of all things. But, um, yeah, but nothing's private, hey? But that I find well, that's, that, I think that's what we have to oh. maybe adjust to is that in 2014, there is no such thing as private anymore. But what I think is important for people like you and me is finding the balance of airing views, but not airing your private life mm. into the public arena. I think I found a balance around that. But and your private life has become a public arena. I mean, not yours specifically. Yes. But... In, um, but there's ways to curb it. We, it, 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 it I, I think it's a niche that one can choose to carve out for themselves. So, for example, uh, Mabali gets into a new relationship. Don't go talk about it in drum. Yeah. Like, you know, don't change your Facebook status yeah. update because, because once, they're tracking you. Because <laughs> once I've spoken about it in drum, I've opened the door like, hey, everybody, you're allowed to come in and be a part of my exactly. private relationship. Exactly. So, so actually, just whatever happens in yeah. it, you have a fight, you throw a glass of wine at him in a restaurant. <laughs> it's, you know, it's back in the, it's back in the paper. And then it's everybody else's business. Mm. But have you seen that very funny thing that Kirsten Dunst shot? She shot this like video. No. So. In this new era of like you, you were saying that people feel that they um, have a right to your life. Yeah. So 
you must go online and see it. I tweeted mm-hmm. about it this morning. The the Kirsten Dunst is standing at the bottom of her driveway waiting for the Uber to come and pick her up. And people are driving by and suddenly these girls drive past. They see her. They're like, ah, are you Kirsten Dunst? Yes, she says very politely. Mm-hmm. You can see she's thinking about it. Out the hop. They start taking selfies <laughs> yeah. with her. Yeah. They don't even ask. They just immediately start taking selfies. Then they're ignoring her. They're trying to post the selfies really quickly. So she says, um, you know, very politely, even though they're behaving like total idiots, she says, um, well, is there a question you want to ask me or something? They look at her. They look at her. They go, and I'm giving away the punchline now, but they go, oh, Will you tag us? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my word. Yeah, it's, so she yeah. pops, she like looks at them. Clearly they get the message. They mm. pop into the car. They drive off. Oh, I've already got 12 likes, 15 likes. So in fact, she has become so much public property that it's all about the soul, their self. Yes, it's all about, them. it's about them it's and about their them. experience it's, with her, yes. not about meeting her. Yes, but exactly. in a way, is that not how, the, uh, we experience we i mean this just makes it plain mm. but it is all about you that's how you experience celebrity that is almost how you experience politicians we want to have that divide but really their lives the the choices they make mm-hmm. the things that they do reflect on us mm, that's true but i mean but this is a thing with social media you know with twitter and facebook you know, you're also becoming a celebrity, you know, because you're putting your life out there. You're taking Instagram pictures of yourself every other day in your bathing suit. And, you know, you want people to say, oh, you look sexy. You know, like <laughs> you, you you kind of. Exactly. That's what social media has done for the average person is they get to be celebrities as well. Well, in their own. In their own little. Of, in their own way. Yes. The, the coolest person that I've had the opportunity to interview on social media is somebody that I disagree with so much politically but like she's like the coolest person i sat down with helen zilla and yeah and 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 she's she's funny and she's human and you know she i get her yeah in in so many ways yeah and yet uh you see the way she portrays herself on social media and then this woman Mm. um for me they're two different people her tone is terrible she's tone deaf yeah you see, that's what I was going to say, because if maybe somebody was to monitor a conversation between you and Helen Zeller on Twitter, they might think, ooh, Kay really hates this woman. Mm. But in fact, that's not the case. No. And I mean, sometimes I think it was last, last week, Sunday, <laughs> some people were like, why are you being so nice to each other? <laughs> like, it's weird. Stop it's it. Like, but when we discuss politics, we're robust and <laughs> you old woman. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I never like. Interestingly, I never quite, when I talk to her directly, I don't even call her Helen. I'm like either Premier Zilla or May Helen or something. Mm-hmm. Some, she's not my age, you know? Yeah. Despite me being born a long time ago. So, <laughs> let me get your, um, we're going to have to do our questions pretty soon, Aspasia, yes, but let do. me, yes, let me do. get your opinion, um, on a couple of issues because mm-hmm. I, you know, um, this is part of the reason why you're such an interesting person to talk to. Um, religion. Where where do where do you stand on religion? I know you've been tweeting about this pastor Joshua, <laughs> that that man, that evil man, but <laughs> that that snake oil salesman, that fraudster. <laughs> uh, but your stance on religion, where 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 where, where do you stand on that? I used to be agnostic, mm-hmm. 
I wasn't sure. Um, I come from a religious background, as in strong religious people in my background. But I'm raised by an atheist mother, fully, fully atheist. She looks at people and she's like, these people are just, they don't know what they're talking about. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. I've adopted that. Yeah. I'm fully 100% atheist. (laughs) What do you, how do you deal with the backlash that comes with being so opinionated? And sometimes people will say, oh, you're so opinionated. Like it's a bad thing. Like it's this negative thing. How do you deal with that whole backlash? That I don't. I don't care. Yeah. Um, sometimes some people uh, mistake, I suppose, self-confidence for arrogance. But there are some views. I, I'm, I'm not particularly perturbed by what people think of my views. Because I'm, I'm somebody who is such a huge advocate of free speech that I think it's important for be- different people to air their views, whether they agree or disagree. Mm. So the TB Joshua slick... Um, shiny suit oil sales salesman mm-hmm. uh, you know, who sells false uh, yeah. promises to people. Yeah. Um, I've decided, Taking advantage of these people, yes. if we have to be honest. I've taken to his page. <laughs> Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> I'm scared. I'm you scared. herself on your page. You, you have, better be careful. You have let him know what I you think of him. I am in his space. I don't do that. My yeah. Facebooking is usually very self-centered in many ways. Yeah. Where I focus on my own page. I have gone to this man's page and I am commenting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I still go in. Yeah. You know, you're like, <laughs> Somebody needs to put you in your place. Exactly. So I'm getting attacked a lot, as you can imagine, um, by his yeah. followers. Yes. But I'm not perturbed. I think uh, I have a responsibility. I have a social responsibility to enlighten my fellow human beings to wake up. You've already mentioned that you, you, you like Helen Ziller. Yes, you will engage in debate with her and you'll have arguments, but you actually like her. So as a person, yeah. Yeah, as a person, you like her. Um, the president, mm-hmm. if, you, mm-hmm. if you're prepared to give your opinion on the president. About whether I like the president or not. Well, I mean, just what you think of him. I respect his office. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I respect his office, and he is the president of South Africa that is chosen by the majority of people who chose him in conference um, in the African National Congress. So I respect the outcome. Yeah. Um, I have some misgivings that a lot of people have. I've aired many of those misgivings publicly. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I think that there is a lot of good that he does. But there's also stuff that needs to be asked, questions that need to be asked. And it's important for us to have that discourse as a community. Okay. Fabulous. Are we going to ask the let's, two let's, minute, five, ten big question no, no, okay, questionnaire? Yeah, this is why this needs a new name. It's the two minute. <laughs> do I need, I don't even have my phone with me because we okay, need you guys to, really I'm need to rethink this. You know what? I'll keep, I'll keep an eye on the clock, Aspasia, because okay. you're going to go through all the questions. Okay. So okay. you have to answer as many of these questions in the allo- allocated time, which is two minutes, okay? Um, and so you keep your eye on the clock. And I will start the questionnaire. Oh, okay. I see what you're trying to do there. You're trying to film this at the same I'm time on your cell phone. It so that we can load it. Okay, maybe you know what? Let's let's give your phone to Palisa over here and then she can film it. And okay. then and then you can just focus on the questions. Okay. Because okay, I let's see do that. I see you multitasking. Here. I am multitasking. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean I'm pretty good at that sort of thing. Look, you're a woman, of course you are. <laughs> Apparently though nobody is like that good. Is it already recording? No, she needs to press start. Okay. Is it recording now? No. Okay, press it again. Uh, now. No, you see, I think you. it went back to camera. Oh, okay, no, it is recording. There okay. we go. All right, so your two minutes starts now. What is your greatest fear? Snakes. 
<laughs> What's in your handbag? Your David Tlaile handbag, I might add. <laughs> it's my favorite handbag. I've got all kinds of things there, cosmetics, uh, lip gloss, always have lip gloss, <laughs> and some money. Excellent. Um, if your house was burning down, what three things would you save? My David Tlaile handbag. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's got your essentials in it, so that would be a good place to start. I, I would also take out my kids, but I, just, I don't suppose they count as things. <laughs> oh, I, I love how the handbag came before the kids. <laughs> and shoes. shoes. Your shoes. I'm, I'm a you shoe, I'm shoe crazy. I take my shoes. Who do you admire most and why? I admire my dad. Mm-hmm. And he's resilient. He's strong and he's funny. What trait do you most despise in others? What character trait? Is it a trait or a trait? Trait. 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 Hypocrisy. Yeah. And in yourself? (sighs) Sometimes I speak before I think. (laughs) (laughs) As long as you don't write before you think. Describe yourself in five words. Uh, Great sense of humor. Mm Mm-hmm. Some's already three. What? Well, okay, humor. Let's okay, let's go. Humor. Okay, humor. humor. Um, write well, if I may say so myself. I am giving. I'm generous. Um, Twenty seconds. Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> Yield bucket list question. What do you want to achieve before you die? Before I die, I must write a book. Okay. How do you want to die? If you had a say in it. By lethal injection. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word! And are you a feminist? I'm absolutely a feminist. Done. We got it done <laughs> with three seconds to spare. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah, I you know. describe myself. That's so difficult though. But you know what? I think that's difficult for most people because it causes you to reflect and, to, you know, to. Do you want of, to look at your bad side or your yeah. good things? I don't know if I could answer the questions myself. No, <laughs> describe yourself in five words. I, I think I would struggle with that as well. Mm. We may have to do the questionnaire. Oh yes, you have to do the question. Yeah, like a bit of psychology going Next on. Next time, your, psychology. Your guest must ask you guys questions. <laughs> um, Kanane thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. It's been a what delight. A, what a delight to shoot the yeah, breeze. Yeah, I've thank actually you. been dying to. Um, sorry, I'm having a personal celebrity moment here. Oh my god, I've been dying to meet you for the longest time. So I'm having You're a moment. You're a celebrity. You're a celebrity. <laughs> I have a Twitter crush on you. So <laughs> what do you call I those? Love you both. Uh, uh, to please don't try and wash. Oh gosh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. I think I've done so that much, all. Guys. Yeah, it was great. it was really a lot of fun. Very insightful. Thank you very much. And um, yeah, keep keep up the the good fight. You know, we love we love hearing your opinions. They're very sensible. And um, speak freely, I say. Yes, and it's also very encouraging for outsiders to look at you and to think, wow, you know, she's not afraid of anything. And she's just, she's just except going for, for it. So, except for the snakes. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for joining us this afternoon. We'll be back next week, Thursday, with another edition of Between Two Femmes.